Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 200 of Cyclocross Radio. We made it. It's been a good five years. We're hoping for five more of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we got Curtis White. It was great to catch up with Curtis, see everything that he's doing to get ready to race Cyclocross in 2020. This episode's brought to you by Willa's, Willa's Oat Milk. Best oat milk out there. I just got some. It's amazing. It's super creamy. They use the whole oat. That's the key. That's the secret. That's what other oat milks aren't doing. Oat milk also, as opposed to other non-dairy milk products, is sustainable. And Willow's makes sure that that is on the top of their list. That's part of their mission to have a plant based product that people can feel good about the company that's producing it and that's definitely willas here's what i want you to do go to willaskitchen.com order yourself up some oat milk and then on us at the wide angle podium you can get 20 percent off by using the coupon code crosshairs 20 so do that start a subscription make sure you never run out of willas oat milk willaskitchen.com crosshairs 20 is the code also the mammoth tough virtual mammoth tough the tough 20 that we've been talking about is still going on they've extended a few more weeks so there's still time to register get over to mammothtough.com you'll get all the information there you can put in the code tough 10 TUFF10, I believe it's all caps, TUFF10, and you can get 10% off of your registration. So get on that, go do the scavenger hunt, go uh, put in your gravel report so Amanda and Dave can read all of those and post them up for people to see. It's a ton of fun. We want you to be part of it so we can all enjoy the Mammoth Tough gravel race next year in person. Wide Angle Podium is where you go for all of your independent cycling content. We want you to become a member. Go to WideAnglePodium.com. Hit the donate button and support all of the shows on the network. Also, check out the YouTube page, YouTube.com slash WideAnglePodium. ton of new content out there. Uh, I'd love for you to check it out. We're going to have even more coming up in the next couple weeks. So go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go hit the like button. Go share it with your friends. And that's about it. It's episode 200 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking to Curtis White, and we're doing that right now. Curtis, it, it, is, it is now for Cyclocross Radio, formerly Crosshairs Radio. This is actually episode 200, so you're, you're, you're here on a special day. <laughs> All right, nice. Timed it perfectly. Do you know... It has been 194 episodes since I last talked to you. I was episode six. You were episode six. Wow. I mean, I know we've talked a lot, you know, in the interim, but at least we for the podcast. nearly every weekend at every cyclocross <laughs> right. race, but man, that's a big gap. Yeah. So that was, uh, we did it in the registration pavilion in Druid Hill Park at Charm City in 2015. Man, it's coming back to me now. And I think you had just uh, won, I think it was day two. So it was either 
like Cam Dodge or Travis Liverman that you That's were right. battling yeah. with. There was a good battle with Cam Dodge. Yeah. So that weekend, it was kind of a family trip with uh, my sister, Emma, and my little brother, Harrison, and my dad and I. We all packed into our uh, Toyota Highlander with a little U-Haul pod behind us. And we just we went down to Baltimore. All three of us were racing. My dad was working overtime in the pits. And I believe, I think we had a good weekend. Harrison won the Cub Juniors race. Emma won the pro women. And I won yeah. the pro men. And I think we I was just old enough to get the big, uh, I don't know if they had the gin or the... I'm not sure if the gin had come that. in yet. Yeah, it may have. It may have. Yeah. Either way, my dad was very, very proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember that. You can actually, I will, I will link to it because we actually have some uh, cool photos uh, in the post that I did that uh, Bruce Buckley took took on that day. But it's um, and so you were like twenty one, who just yeah. uh, just kind of like coming into your own in the elite field. Yeah, a lot has changed since then. Yeah. Um. So twenty one years old, maybe. Maybe I won my first UCI race the season before, and then I started to gain good momentum. You said it was 2015? Yep. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Um, yeah, and then it, so that would have been a second year under 23 then, and then progressing through my under 23 years, and now it's – I've already been with Cannondale Cyclocross World eight years now. We're going into my eighth season. That's amazing. It's – I mean, I, certainly thinking about all of the – the good battles and the the races and just all the good memories that go along with it. It just, it, there's been a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. And it's now and you and Katie Keo really the, the veteran leaders of the, the, that team at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some changes, but it's, it's kind of funny to think about too. So yeah, I've been with the team eight years now. I think Katie Keo is going on year 10 with the program, but I think, I mean, we have Clara Hunsinger now on the program and Katie Klaus, and I don't know for certain, but I think this is the youngest roster that the Cannondale Cyclocross World Program has ever had. Yeah, that, that may be. I, right. I have yeah. to look that up, but it's, I don't, I, I believe Katie is 28. I'm 25 at the end of this week. So it's, I, I believe this is the youngest roster that we've had. That's amazing. So a lot, a lot of potential, but yet a lot of experience. Yeah, for exciting. sure. I mean, bringing on you know the current national champion. You got Katie Klaus with, as I always like to say, more national championships than eight years old. Um, <laughs> different disciplines. It's a uh, definitely, definitely the bona fides on that on that team. And um, man, you have you've really seen such a change in just the makeup of that squad, you know, just from the, so was it, who was, who was there? Timmy was still on the team when you were, it was the, my first year on the team may have been, was it a 2013 season? Uh, it was Tim Johnson, Ryan Trebone and Katie Keogh and myself. I was just out of the juniors, hot shot, young <laughs> punk Curtis, Believe it or not, I had younger or longer hair than I do right now. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely coming into that squad. That is a that's that's a trial by fire. If you were a young hotshot, I'm sure that they didn't let that last long. Definitely not. 
<laughs> Especially with Ryan in the trailer. Right. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, certainly right out of the gate, it was a huge, huge learning experience coming in. And I mean, I would have been 18 years old, race age 19, racing on a professional program for the first time. And I remember being a Cub Junior running around the USGP races, trying to get autographs. And I was riding with Tim Johnson the other day, actually, and I was joking around with him when I was young. And the nine ball diaries came out. It was a big deal. I got my nine ball diaries edition autographed by him. And I still have it with me. It's like something I, it's like a prized possession. But uh, I, I remember being very young, chasing those guys around. I remember at the Mercer Cup in New Jersey for my mom's birthday that weekend, we had got a card and we had Ryan Chabone, George Gould, Tim Johnson, Jeremy Powers, uh, Lynn Bissett all of these giants of the sport back at the time signed this card. And I think she may still have this card, but it's just, it's funny to see where I was chasing right. them around and young Curtis racing early in the morning, probably having a hamburger during the day to hold me over. And then now riding or back then riding with the team. And then eight years later with the team at near the top of us cyclocross, it's uh, been a nice road. Yeah, and it's it's the type of thing that I think that because of that and because of your association with all all of those people, I, I think that the and we've talked about this before, but the the assumption is that you're a Boston guy, that you're a New England guy, where where in fact you haven't been un, until just recently. Yep, by association. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I grew up in upstate New York, a little town called Dwaynesburg. Um, oddly enough, a lot of real strong athletes come out of this little pocket in upstate New York that it's barely on a map. Uh, we have a D1 national champion, Nick Wazowski, a uh, wrestler. I believe he's on the, I don't know if he was on track for the Rio Olympics team or uh, the upcoming Olympics, but he's a phenomenal athlete. Um, and uh, I mean, of course, Emma White too. I don't know if anyone here knows, but I am Emma White's brother. Is that uh, your claim to that fame? Um, <laughs> if that if that brings me anything, any more Instagram <laughs> followers, uh, it's Curtis J. White. Uh, I'm kind of a big deal now. Well, you know, the the funny thing I was I was reading back on that uh, just about the first time that we talked and and with Emma and you all in uh, uh, Richmond with the, uh, I mean, not in Baltimore with the U-Haul, but it was like two weeks after her silver medals in uh at worlds in in richmond so it's just sort of like riding that it was sort of the beginning of what you've been you know the coattails you've been riding since exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah we, we grew up in upstate new york and the new england cyclocross scene was always always there for us and they had a very good um i guess development pipeline for young juniors coming in and i was really fortunate too with uh, in the Albany area, I had a very supportive club that helped me get involved with the sport, Capital Bicycle Racing Club, uh, that's still going strong today. Um, but there was really a lot of support from all angles and being a 10-year-old kid and it, it, cyclocross was really the thing to do. If you were involved in cycling, cyclocross was the thing to do. And um, it was really easy to know where the next race was. It was all really well promoted. There was a good pipeline in New England. and it became something fun to do on weekends. My grandparents are from Acton, Massachusetts, just outside of the Boston area. Uh, so that was kind of our home away from home for a lot of these race weekends. And 
it really became a family tradition. Every single weekend we would go to the cross races. Having that strong of a support, uh, and, and now that you are, you know, no, no longer that cub racer, no longer that junior, but the, the established rider on the largest and I, and longest standing professional cyclocross team in the country at this point, do you, do you feel this, any obligation? I know you do it, but do you feel like an obligation to, to, to give back to that? I know you, you did a lot of mentoring just in this, uh, since March, since we've been in lockdown with Jeff's program and other things like that. I mean, what do you, what do you feel just to continue growing the sport is the obligation of professional athletes like yourself who are in it? Yeah, it's a huge responsibility to give back. And I think admittedly, that's something that as an athlete who's still trying to figure, figure out how to brand themselves. And I'm still a relatively young guy. I'm 24 right now, 25 next week. It's so hard to fathom that, that you're that young. I, I'm not a, a <laughs> big veteran who's been around and I'm, you know, near the end of my career. I'm still towards the beginning of my career. Yeah. Um, but it's a, just to get people involved. And I, it, that is a big thing that I think in the U S we are lacking. Um, compared to in Europe that it's very community oriented. You, when you talk to some of the top cross racers among their goals of winning a world championship or the Belgian national championship or the DVV series, it's, and I also want to do well in my hometown race in Essen because I, all my supporters are there or doing well at Valkenburg because all my supporters are there and that's my local race. And it's really difficult to have that in the U S a local race for me is a New England cyclocross series race. Right. But even then it's maybe a three hour drive from my house from my house. Right. You're racing, um, you're racing against people who it's more local for. Right. So it's, <laughs> uh, we have a greater area, but it's still, we need, I think as racers and as races ha- need to have more of a connection with local communities. Uh, because especially now in the time of COVID, I'm sure everyone's noticed there's more young kids out on bikes absolutely loving life discovered there's outdoors and you don't have to be cooped in all day playing video games and on your phone and being antisocial. You can be outside riding your bike, going wherever you want, whenever you want. Um, and I think there's a massive disconnect between that group of young cyclists and the racing community, which is unfortunate. There are some races that do it really well and promoters that try to bridge that gap between the racing community and the actual community of where we are um, and some race promoters that just direct a very clean event and cater to the cycling community, which is, I think we need more of the form of connecting with communities, getting as many people involved in the sport. And that is on the responsibility of race promoters, getting local businesses and connecting with the local schools, but also the racers of, Myself, Carrie, Clara, Katie Compton, Katie Keogh, all of us showing how cool this sport is and kind of making it as approachable and inclusive as possible. And it's, there's no one answer, but it's just, it, it I think, yeah, the, it all begins with the recruitment of the sport. And you can, you can look at yourself as a prime example. I mean, the stories you were just telling 10 minutes ago about running around after, you know, Tim Johnson and Lynn Bissett and people like that when you're a little kid 
and then in the position that you're in now, I mean, that's, that's kind of the success story we're looking at. No, not everybody has to be a professional racer, but at least, uh, to find that joy in the sport at that level. And at that, at age to, to sort of move it forward into these kids wanting to do it on their own. Yeah. I think is, is, is huge, huge from, from the personalities that we have in the sport. Totally. And I think the very unique thing about cycling in general, but especially with cyclocross is that the athletes are so approachable and so accessible to all spectators. Um, really, I mean, sometimes if you have an RV camper in Europe and you have your little tape set up around, it's you still are able to talk with the athletes, reach out, shake their hands. You know, you get your, your postcards from them. And in the U.S., you come up to the Cannondale trailer and we're constantly talking with people. And But they're all people that are really involved in the cycling community already which is great and we like to have those connections and share our passion that way but also it's nice to maybe bridge that gap with this group of kids riding down the street that a couple of them know how to do some pretty cool wheelies but have absolutely no no idea where the local trail systems are let alone what cyclocross is yeah so that's i don't have all the answers but uh (laughs) there are some athletes some race promoters that are doing a fantastic job of trying to bridge that gap yeah oh man you sort of you you, you kind of touched my heart i was like oh when you're talking about um just everyone having those conversations at races it's it's one of the things i miss you, you know it's, it's the type of thing you you find yourself especially when you have stuff to do at races almost complaining about but this because you're like always there's so many people you want to talk to and you're running into people all the time and i know for you you have to like do your warm-up do everything that you need to do but Man, do I just um, what I would give to to be delayed this weekend by <laughs> by a lot of people catching up would be uh would I be know, pretty right? awesome. It, it seems like this is the time we have to do it. I mean, the tour just finished, and it felt like every day, every stage of the tour, it's like ah, uh, cyclocross is still two months away. Right. It feels like <laughs> July, I have plenty of time. But then the tour ends. You're like two weeks ago last year, I was i was talking to bill shiken about what line i should take around this off camber u-turn corner and yeah don't tell carrie my secret lines or anything like that it's just it's <laughs> yeah i think it's, it's it's this time of covid provides an opportunity where yeah we're not able to be around each other at the races but i think if there's ever a time to bridge that gap with this cycling community or the new people that can come into the cycling community that just don't have that connection to the racing community now is the time to make it happen yeah but. i think so and i think there is a whole you're right there's a whole whole new crop of people who have, who have found bikes in this time but it sort of going off of what you're saying about about the tour you know being so late and now we're into mid to end september and haven't really done any racing i know for you i mean first of all for you it seems like you you're always one of the most positive people I know. You're just keeping keeping things up, and it looks from what you're doing training wise, where I think a lot of people have gone. Well, I'm just not doing anything. I'm going to go out. I'm going to adventure ride. I'm going to just do these things. It seems like you're you're sticking to it and getting getting ready for a season here. Yeah, it's. I've been. I think I tend to be a pretty stubborn guy with some things. I can be pretty hard headed and committed to something. When, I, I mean, early on, I was still committed to. September one, I'm ready to, I'm starting my season September one. I have sponsors depending on me to be ready. I have the team, my coach, all, like, all of these people that have backed me for so long. And it's, I think early on in the pandemic, 
there are a lot of people who didn't truly realize the gravity of the situation or what was coming. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought, all right, we're going to lock down for two weeks, maybe a little bit longer. Okay. Now it's a month. Okay. Now it's two months. All right. We're in this for the long haul and we're starting to see major cancellations. And now we barely have a cross season in the U S and the goals of the season have shifted a bit, but I think generally as athletes, we need to generally high level athletes kind of have to alter their perception of events just to have a positive mindset or otherwise you're just going to get bogged down all the time. And now more than ever, if you have the mindset of what am I losing during this time of COVID, it's just, you're going to have a rough time. I'm sorry. I can't help you. It's, you really have to have the mindset of what am I gaining? Yeah. And for so long, for, so for a number of years, I was competing at a professional level on the road for a road team for six months of the year. And then I would go right into racing cyclocross at a professional level for six months. And year round, I was a full-time student and I just never caught a break. And I was just rushing from one thing to the next. And I was able to do all these things at a really high level. But now that I'm only racing cyclocross full-time and school is over, I've kind of taken a step back from road and now all of these opportunities and races and things are disappearing. We have to take a step back and pause. You have to figure out what you're gaining through this time. And for me, it's, I can't begin to count how many training camps I've had to miss because of exams or school, or I, I had to take an exam or stay for class and fly out to a race late Friday night and come in race first thing Saturday morning. It's I remember some of those where you were doing that. Yeah, it was just insane. A lot of uh tired nights coming into races, but it's it's what I had to do during that time. And looking back now, I honestly don't know how I did it during that time. I was like, all right, I can keep doing this. I'm on the grind. Let's go. But uh I mean that that period of time was the, the work ethic that I had to adopt was pretty intense, I think. But um uh, I'm looking at this time as it's the biggest training camp I've ever had. I've had to miss a lot of training camps. There's been a lot of time going from one thing to the next. I didn't have a lot of time to get the perfect preparation or to grow in certain ways that I wanted. Now I have that time. So how do I use the time that I have the best of my capability? Because I, mean, I hope we don't have another pandemic like this in my lifetime. And there are a lot of people suffering and having a really rough time with this. But this is an opportunity for growth for growth. Uh, being in Massachusetts now, does that help with, with training? I mean, going out and, and, and finding partners to ride with and that kind of thing? Certainly, yeah. Uh, where I grew up, I had a very supportive club, but it was always like a 30, 40-minute car drive to any group ride. Now it's we've been able to keep the groups pretty small and be responsible with it, but the trail systems here are just one mile off out of my apartment. It's great mountain bike trails and there are within 30 minutes bike ride four or five parks to train cyclocross and bike paths trails it's easy to get out and just get on the quiet roads and there's been uh, a couple of the anthony brothers relatives of jesse anthony live in town here and been able to show me all the back roads and trails and timmy jay's in town so it's it's been nice to discover a new cycling community, be a part of a new cycling community and figure a new area out. In, in the, in the past, I mean, you were talking about 
the the crazy schedule that you kept, especially going from road, going to cyclocross, and then even in cyclocross, especially with the U.S. World Cups in the last few seasons, which I'm assuming, you know, as they are for most North American riders, those are A races for you. So you're looking at peaking in September, which seems kind of insane for for most people, especially European folks racing cyclocross. And, I, you know, looking at, at your results over the years, it seems like, and this is me, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but by the time the end of the season comes around and you're racing in Europe, it's, you're, you're not, you're not getting the same success you were earlier in the season. I'm assuming that's because you've been just racing nonstop that long. So looking at this situation here, almost as glass half full, are you, are you looking forward to, to having the opportunity to sort of hit Europe fresh? Absolutely. Um, that, that has been the struggle. I think our, the U S season certainly starts earlier than the European season. I think if you look at the euros who came to Rochester, it was a terrific race in Rochester, but the guys who were finishing just off the podium were flying by the end of the year. Right. And I think that that's on top of, well, they're also traveling back home and finishing their, the season at home or the final three months of the season are home for them. Whereas the final three months of the season for us is away from home. Um, and on top of that, most of our season here in the States is flying, staying in a hotel and it's, there's just a lot more travel involved with it. And that's just generally harder to keep up with fitness and training and your recovery. And as I've matured over the last few years, I've figured out how to be more on top of my recovery and more proactive with having a supportive diet for that much travel and racing and trying to balance everything. It's just, it's complicated and it's hard. Um, And there's a lot of figuring out to do for individual athletes. But it is, it, it will be refreshing to train for. It's a bummer that our season will only be three months because, I mean, legally speaking, we can't be in the Schengen zone for more than 90 days and 180 right. day period. So whatever racing we, we can cram into 90 days, that's our season. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thankfully for us, it's most of the World Cup season. And that's, for me, since the last time I had the opportunity to do nearly the entire world cup series was when I was a last year junior. And it's been a long time. And throughout those years I was balancing school and then I went to the elite level and wasn't, I, I'm still finding my, my footing there, but this will be the first opportunity that we've had to have that complete Euro schedule. So it's again, what am I gaining? A new season, new opportunities, things I haven't done before. You know, I'm looking at this as nothing but new opportunities, really. So it's it's all very exciting, though. Yeah. What's the what's the plan schedule wise when you're when are y'all heading over? It's complicated. (laughs) It always is. (laughs) It's there are so many moving pieces, and it's it's constantly dependent on what the what countries are doing well right now, what we're not, and at the moment, where it seems like most people are finding success going through the UK. Uh, we're going to head over um, late October and start racing beginning of November and staying in Sittard in the Netherlands for the 90 days that we're there. And we'll, we'll target all of those races in that neck of the woods and finish with the world championships and right after the world championships head home. So 
even if there is a U.S. Nationals not coming back for it? It's That's a difficult situation, and it's yep. something that I'm really torn about and a lot of athletes are really torn about. For sure. Um, and I think it was it today that CX Magazine just released an article. It was a, an opinion piece about cyclocross nationals in Iowa City. And I, I think it was – there was some quote from the article. It was, on a per capita basis, Iowa City is doing worse than any other place in the entire world with yeah. number of cases in a day. And it's just – Iowa city is a big college town and it's in the red right now. And man, I, I really want to win a cyclocross national championship. And if again, me being stubborn, if I had my way, I would find a way to be in Iowa city if there was a race, but also I think someone said it about the Olympics earlier this year. It's, it's not just one day of the year. It's every single day of the year. We we're waking up where our diet is around training and we're constantly looking towards these goals and we want to be at our best and achieve our own goals and represent our sponsors the best of our ability. And I've never won a cyclocross national championship before. And that's something that I really, really, really wanted to do. Um, You've been close a lot. I, I've been close a lot over, <laughs> over the last uh, 15 years. There's been a lot of close calls, but um you know, I, I know I have it in me to get it, but it's, I, I think personally, I would, I, I would like some clarity with it. I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth and doing things that I haven't done this year um, for concerning general safety in the U S it's my pride hurt. I, I hate to say it, but I don't think it's the right call to have a national yeah. championship. Yeah. Um, and the racers who, it's our job to compete and represent sponsors and achieve results. This is our livelihood. We'll find a way to do our jobs. And I think Europe is the place to do it. Unfortunately in the U S are there any standing UCI races left? Yeah. Um, so, uh, ruts and guts and resolution still are going forward. You know, even this week they clarified that they, they are having their, their events. Um, <laughs> North Carolina is still on the schedule, though I don't, I don't know. I have a feeling that one may not happen, but I don't want to speculate on it. But those two are definitely still going forward as, and they're just sort of planning on that being the ramp up to nationals. Yeah, man, I, I, I'm generally a pretty positive guy, and sometimes pretty stubborn with it. But I just, I, I, I want people to make the the smart decision, the right decision, to do everyone right, and. I think also our job is to represent our sponsors and I, I think it is, it's our job to represent the companies that s support the cycling industry and Clara and Gage and it's, what are we going to do without them showing off the stars and stripes? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I, I want to take that stars and stripes Jersey from Gage, but it's, I mean, to do the industry right. I think it's, it's the right call not to have a championship this year. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll find a way to do our jobs. We'll go to Europe. We'll have these awesome opportunities to grow and do new things. But that's my stance. Not not to dredge up those uh memories from the last national nationals in uh Tacoma, but Man, for, I'm getting for, fired up right now, Bill. Come on. Okay. Well, for your race, <laughs> here's the thing. For yeah. your race, you finished second in this race. You were in it the whole time, yet 
you are like the forgotten guy in this national championship. Nobody was talking about you after the race because of the incident between Gage and Kerry on that descent and with the tape. So this is, I, I need to give you your due here for, for how your race went. I mean, what, where you were in it, but you know, Gage, Gage was, was that much better. So what, what was the, what's your take on the day? Gage had a phenomenal race. He was at his best throughout the entire year. That was his best day on the bike. I don't think he, I mean, it's just to see him ride that way was, was truly phenomenal. And early on in the race, I, I had a flashback back to Fayetteville day two cross where it was a heavier course gauge went, he got a gap pretty early from the gun. I let him have 20 seconds or so. There was a point where it got to 25 seconds. It was a really heavy course that I knew that he may not have the diesel to hold it to the end. And I, in Fayetteville, I timed it perfectly where in the final lap and a half, I ramped it up, caught gauge in the final lap and was able to put in a decent amount of time. And I just, there are a number of races throughout the year that that's how things played out where he tend, he lost a bit of steam towards the end or he lacked that sharpness. And to be honest, I, I was more focused on carry through the race. And it's, I think also it's a strange time where there was a four week gap. There were races going on between New York supercross and the national championships, but I went to California to train, do my own training block. And honestly, I didn't, I was performing at a really high level throughout the entire season. I didn't need a, a season saving race. I was, I, all I needed to do was do what I've been doing all year long. And I don't know if I got a little complacent, but I, I, I think I timed the training block a little wrong, a mix of that and gauge just being on the highest level of the year. It just, it, it all came together and man, hats off to gauge because he's, he's a tremendous competitor. But, uh, I mean, how he rode and it's, there are some, I mean, the, the situation with the tape with Kerry was really unfortunate and I, I hate to see that, but how someone like Gage was able to rebound from that mentally and still press on and not come apart. I mean, that takes some serious mental strength. So I, it all yeah. came together on that day and that's, that's what a national championship is. It's not the accumulation of a season. It's one day and man, he nailed it. So, yeah, it, it, you know, you talk about that season and, and I have to say that between and that you were concentrating on carry, which I think for everybody who followed the season, that seemed like the smart and reasonable thing to do because you guys had an amazing season. I mean, for me personally, it, it, it made my job easy, you know, just, just having you two, um, butting heads all year was the greatest thing ever. And, and it was exciting. It, it reminded me of, of seasons past where we had, you know, a couple guys up there that could win and even having gauge, you know, and Lance sometimes in there just as, as spoilers, but it seemed like you two and even Hyde when he was on form, but it seemed like you and you and Carrie really, really were on top of your games and it, it made for a really, really fun rivalry. Certainly. The whole and year. I, I will say that there are a couple points where, I took the heat check a little personally. I, I, the heat check results came out, and I was like, all right, I'm seeing Carrie in three days. We're going again. And it was the motivation we needed. I know he was doing the same thing, too. Love it. But, um, yeah, it, it was really a – I mean, 
a nice rivalry, but I mean, Kerry's one of the nicest guys on the bike you'll meet in the U.S. cross scene. It's he's a hard guy to dislike, you know, as much as you may try. He's probably he's one of the nicest yeah. guys out there. But you know, it, it, it was a fun time racing with him and learning his strengths and weaknesses through not just this past year, but over the last couple of years, he's really raised his level, and he and I have kind of progressed at a similar rate, I guess. Yeah. And just even thinking, you know, the, the two that just come to the top of my head, I mean, you have races like go cross and you have a race like charm city where you guys split like one day, you know, he would win one day you would win. And it just, it, it made, yeah, it really, it, it really was one of those things that I was like, man, this is, this is kind of what cyclocross needs, especially, you know, when you guys are, I don't know how many sprint finishes y'all had against each more other, than I'd care was, to count. Because in yeah. previous years, yeah, I always right. felt very confident in the sprint. I'm still very confident in my sprint, but again, maybe I was a little complacent. I think day two of Roanoke, I left the door wide open on the inside of the second to last corner, and he slipped by me, and it was just carry, man. <laughs> I mean, it was a phenomenal <laughs> move, and that just teed up a very exciting rest of the season. And I think, too, I mean, it wasn't just carry and I, like, Hyde was, I think he was dealing with a couple injuries through the year, but he came on strong towards the end. And there are a couple of races Hyde was able to stick it to carry and a couple of races where Hyde and I were able to use good team tactics. Um, and there are days that carry just was flying. And that's, I, I remember that was the first day of Baltimore. I think carry had beat me in the sprint there. And we had Lane, Steven and I trying to gang up on carry. And I was just like, it wasn't working. And then the second day we turned it around and we pulled it off. It was just, it, it made things very exciting. And for people who are following the entire season, um, especially with the content, I guess you guys are putting out with the podcast and the second press TV. It's just, if you go back and watch it, it just, I mean, the one thing that's missing is kind of the storyline of a series, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You, you brought up Lane too. He was a lot of fun to watch this year as well i mean he's, he's like he's just got that rudy the rabbit act down you know i mean he's just like off you know in the front and it's i don't i don't know you know we always like debate if team tactics or or anything in cyclocross and i just is that is that something that you were looking forward to seeing especially it seemed like he was such a great starter and he would just jump out in a lot of these races Yeah, he was a phenomenal starter um and i think it definitely kept the pace of the races really high from the beginning and i think Lane is a rider who's coming into his own and he'll, he still needs to work on his depth. I think, I mean, he clearly fades a little bit towards the end of these races, but there are some races where he's able to finish it off really strong. But I think the consistency will come with age and experience. Um, but it's, it's all there. It's just, it's it's development. And I was at that point too, when I was a young racer where I would attack through the first half of the race get good gaps. I was extremely explosive. And then when Jeremy powers or Hyde or Trabone or any one of these guys decided that, okay, playtime is over. The real racing begins. It was just, it took a while for me to develop that maturity to stay calm and patient. Focusing this year on more of a European schedule, you know, talking to powers in the past, he would, it seemed as he matured as a racer, he kind of changed his training and tried to train, change his racing style to more meet the 
demands of Europe? Do you, are you sort of focusing on that same? Do you see things that may have been successful in the U S that you could not really coast, but that you could rely on that, you know, just from experience, aren't really going to have the same effect in these European races. Oh, there's, there's certainly two very different styles of racing. Um, I mean, you have the, the physical side, which, I mean, if the races are in a straight line, I I've always with my background on the road, I feel like I would, I, I, I can fare really well when it comes down just to straight power. But I think across the board with all Americans, what we're finding that we, where we truly struggle is the technical side. And you, you look at some riders like Kerry and Steven, and even myself, I've made a lot of gains with the technical side of the training. It's, we're still getting gapped off, you know, half a second here, half a second there. And it's just, these efforts really add up and it's, that's what you get when you have a community of really high, high level athletes coming together on a weekly basis, training together consistently. And that's something that in the U S we're struggling to find. And through, well, more recently we've, uh, in Western Massachusetts, we've had a really good cross training session and Steven and Lane and I have been able to get together and my coach Al Donahue has been able to overlook the trainings and follow what the, the intervals are, what we're doing for laps and the course. It's just, he's able to really spot a lot of things we could be doing better, what we need to change, just analyze the training just in person, which is just, a, it's a huge benefit to have that. And then also just to follow a wheel like Steven, it's, it's a shame that Steven lives two hours away, carries a plane right away. Tobin's way over there. Gage is in the in Colorado. It's just, that's just us cyclocross though. And I think, right, I, I sure. guess a part of why I moved to the North shore of Boston area is that there is that really tight knit riding community there. And there's a lot of people to train with. And yeah. when, where COVID is behind us and we can truly all mingle without those consequences. It's, I'm really looking forward to that, but we've been, had to be really careful, but Steven and Lane and a couple of other, uh, riders in the jam fund program have all gotten together. And it's just, it's fast wheels falling on each other through ruts, sands, steep descents, run ups. It's just having someone to hold you accountable in these situations. It's what you need because it's completely different from training alone. That that's just a situation sure. where you need to be extremely mentally strong, do a lot of visualization, know exactly where or how you're pushing the limits through certain ruts. And it's just, it, it's hard to have someone hold you accountable when you're training alone in the woods. So it's again, back to that aspect of community and bringing people together. That's an important part of cyclocross. Yeah. And especially with that group, I'm just saying that those are guys who aren't going to let up on you, you know, and Definitely. You, you, you and you in there as well, you know, well, I, I know when, when Hyde smells blood, he goes for it. Uh, it's, I, I mean, I've known him long <laughs> enough to know that. So it's, it, it's been nice. To, it's been really refreshing to train the technical side at that high of a level here in the U.S. And I think that's, that's yeah. really what we're missing. And it's, I mean, now we're, we're not on the same team anymore. It's going to be kind of strange not using those team tactics. But there is a serious commitment to elevating our level and we're putting you have to put team rivalries and pride aside and just say we're as a country we're losing the arms race and this is where we need to improve and we need to make the commitment to push each other 
and get to that level because it's possible that the Belgians and the Dutch are not born stronger than us. It's, I mean, they, they all, right. they do the exact same things we do. They, they eat the same things for breakfast. You know, it's, it's <laughs> not like it, it, there's no special recipe. It's not rocket science. It's just having that sense of community. And if you want to be successful, you place yourself around other like-minded successful people. One of the things that we see that a lot of the Belgian specifically cyclocross teams do in the off season, I mean, I know that you stopped racing road, uh, you know, and, and had that crazy schedule, but do you ever look at that now and say, and, and, and think about like jumping into more road races for training now that you do have, have not maybe this year, but going forward. Cause that really seems like that's, that's sort of the plan. It's like the Kermes season or whatever, where you see all the Telenet dudes out there in these road races. And then they sort of fly into, into cyclocross season. I guess my question is, absolutely. At all? I, 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 some of my most fond memories racing have been on Optum and Rally and Jelly Belly. And it just, it's CCB and hot tubes. It just, I have been on a lot of tremendous teams and had a lot of amazing teammates. And we've been able to form some incredible friendships that I still have to this day. And it's even just the experience of racing a couple of years ago, we did the tour of Ireland, the Ross, and it's just, eight and eight day stage race through Ireland across the country. It's just, it's, I, I mean, the racing side of things aside, just having that camaraderie was huge. And then eight days into a stage race, still finding that drive to push each other and get into the break and almost hold the break to the line. Or it's it just, again, holding each other to a higher standard and holding each other accountable in those situations. And I definitely miss it. Um, but it's, I, I got to be honest, my heart's with cyclocross. I feel like to be a more complete athlete, to be a more complete person, cyclocross is definitely the way to go in that regard. Just in that, it, I mean, it's more reliant on communi being community-based. You need to have a little bit more outreach. Cyclocross athletes, in my opinion, are a little bit more accessible than road athletes. Um, and just the racing style, if you, I mean, if you look at any discipline of cycling, aside from maybe crits, cyclocross is the most spectator-friendly discipline of cycling. And there's more opportunity to sell that experience to spectators and to entertain spectators. But I think there are a lot of, there are some promoters that are really figuring it out. But I think there's a lot of races that, I mean, a lot of this takes resources and money. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, telling you to go back to road. I think you made the right decision. I, I, I could, I, I but, could. No, but it's, I, I definitely do miss the road, but, uh, I, I think now with the, or the rise of gravel recently, it's definitely a new adventure for a lot of athletes in the cyclocross position, or it's, there's a lot of crossover between road and gravel and mountain and gravel and cyclocross and gravel now. And that's something that I, it's, it's a lot of fun earlier this year. Actually, we, uh, there's a gravel series in Western New York. We did a solo Strava edition uh, gravel race. There's five courses in Western New York around the Finger Lakes, and we raced certain Strava segments on this course, and it was, it was so much fun. Just, to, I mean, A, have a structure that someone was holding you to, whether, I mean, they were behind a computer screen drawing this course. It was early enough in, the, in COVID where it was just, that was all we had, really. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, it, we're still going to find new ways to stay engaged and try new things. But I guess the, the roundabout way to answer your question, yes, I miss racing on the road. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what I was going to say is we know now, you know, from the Tour de France that the, the way you get faster on the road is, is racing cyclocross. That's the new hip thing to do, right? You got Wout, you got Vanderpol, and everybody has found the secret to, to being like yeah. them. There was a, a, an image of yeah. Pogacar that came out a couple of years ago, he was yes, racing. I think yeah. he Slovenian champion from a few years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 one I kept bringing up, I and I I don't mean to give him a hard time, but I looked up uh Sepp Kuss's, uh cross results, and it's like every every Masters racer that you know because they're in the sport at some level as a coach or a mechanic or whatever ha- had beaten him in Colorado in like the two races that's, that he did. That's know, awesome. Probably as a junior. <laughs> that's tremendous. I, I, there was one year on rally, I was a teammate with Sepp, and there were a number of races where we were we were bunking together, and he's really a, a phenomenal teammate one of the nicest guys in the peloton but just to see his trajectory over the last six years i, I believe before rally he was with harley davidson and he was just discovered at gila and no no one knew who he was he was just this uh, this kid who had a couple night nice, good mountain bike rides and he was picked up by a road team and yeah gateway devo i think he was that's on. it yeah. yep yeah. and he, he just rose so quickly a couple of years with rally and then to the world tour it's, and what that guy is able to do now it's so phenomenal crazy. it's so yeah. it, i mean young american riders aside from seb nielsen paulus in the tour it's just it's there are a number of these guys that that around you know my age or a year older or a year younger that through the development pipeline or you're finally starting to see the result of that development Man, that's that's so encouraging to see because that's these guys are so they're upstanding guys, athletes, people. It, it's really nice to see that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I wanted to talk about you know you're talking about like uh, courses that you felt comfortable on, you know, like Fayetteville, and then also the Nationals course. I I and I I would put Worlds in that same maybe in that same same category just for what we had with that really heavy course uh, and top 20 in there and that uh what's what what's your goal coming into that world and what is it you know sort of like going forward what do you what do you want to achieve there i mean that's the biggest stage in the sport really yeah certainly so it's my goal this past year was a top 15 i felt like it there were a couple of results earlier in the year with the u.s world cups where i was I, I believe 15th in Iowa and just out or knocking on the door 15th again in Wisconsin. And it's, I had a really good trajectory through the year and that's what I wanted. And I would through the first off, I'll say, although we were on a flat airfield, the world championships in Switzerland was one of the hardest races that I've done just because it was, the pace was so high from the beginning and the course was so, so heavy. It wasn't like... It was just even walking. I, mean, I was just running around it and it was just, yeah, it took, it, it was every step was a struggle because you just sunk into the ground. Oh, it was, yeah. And it was different from Fayetteville where, I mean, also the level was much higher, but we could kind of dictate our own pace for the hours. Okay. Fay- Fayetteville was just I like wet, I- wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't like, you know, there were a couple muds, it, but it wasn't like a slog. It seemed like you no. guys were still... Still I mean, you're still probably holding 60 RPMs for most of Fayetteville, but it was, yeah. all right, I know I can hold this pace for an hour. I can allow Gage to get 20 seconds. I can bring him back and ramp it up, no problem. But the World Championships, there was a point where I was, 
I think knocking on 13th or uh, it, I was in, I was within the top 15 or like 13th or 14th. And I had the last lap, lap and a half, the wheels came off. I, it was such a heavy, heavy track. And I just, I, I, I could barely see straight at the end. Well, and then, and then, to, and then you have like a more or less flat course. And then you got that one, like the, those run-ups that by the end must've been, I mean, I know just like going up there to do my track walk, I was like, I'm sliding backwards on this. I don't know how you're going to race on it for an hour. It was the, those run-ups were kind of funky, but man, it, it made it much more difficult being slick and you had to be a hundred percent composed running up it and then riding down the backside of them. It was, there was, I think maybe a lap and a half to go. I had, I started to, the wheel started to come off a little bit and I had crashed one down one of the steep descents and it's, it's a 15 foot drop. It's not huge in the dry. It's not that challenging of a obstacle, but it, it, that course really required 100% composure all the time. And you needed to constantly be at 90%. But I think it, again, maturity and patience will come with age but i i I just kind of overextended a little bit too early in the race and then i went backwards from there i believe i finished 18th which is a result i'm still proud of but um yeah so 15th was the goal that year and then so this year i I didn't achieve that but my goal is still going to be raised um top 10 world championships which is steep but i know that i mean confidence comes from the work that you've done i haven't raced you know, since February, but there are a lot of people in the same boat. Yeah. I've had the perspective of this is the longest training camp I've had It's something that I haven't been able to do before. And I took full advantage of it and I've been able to piece, you know, form healthy habits with nutrition, sleeping, the recovery process, training at the right times, dialing in on what zones and how I'm training. It just, it's, it's all, the pieces are there and I'm really looking forward to showing what I've done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see where, where the chips fall when we go to Europe. Yeah. It's, it's, and this is, so this, this really is the, with this time off, this is the first season that you've dialed all of that into this, this extent. And then, which I guess, you know, even though, I mean, you know, hoping for the best success this year, but then at least you have this template then to work with where it's not as chaotic as it's been in the past, where you can look back on it and say, okay, this is what I did here. And then, then go from there. And the certainly there, there's fewer distractions now. Yeah. Anything else you're doing out there for fun? Or is it just like training, just sitting at home? I mean, it's, it's sort of a weird time, isn't it? Fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I, I've been having fun with really everything that I've been doing with the training and discovering new roads and new trails. And we're a couple blocks from the beach here. So lots of sand to train in, uh, doing some ruts in the sand, figure eights. I saw, uh, I saw the, I saw the infinitor as yeah. I like to call them. That's good. I was, I was joking about that with, uh, uh, Drew Giuliano about, um, I, I think there needs to be some cyclocross, equivalent to Eversting with just the figure eights. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know what the distance is going to be like a mile, like a mile of I, figure I'll eights. I'll tell you, if you two, <laughs> two minutes of doing a figure eight is like a full on VO two effort. Um, but no, it, it's it. Yeah. While there's been fewer distractions, there's def- definitely been a lot of I mean, new things to try. And I think yeah. 
something that a lot of people were that we did for 10 weeks during the summer was uh euro cross academy with jeff proctor the uh virtual well typically we would get all get together for a week in montana and we were going to expand that to vermont as well vermont camp and obviously we couldn't do that safely and responsibly um so we had a 10-week session uh, and we would have two guests every week uh sven nice was on uh, Lucinda Brand, Sharon Van Androy, uh, Niels Van de Putta. Um, we had the French national team coach on with Caroline Mani, Katerina Nash, and Jim Miller on towards the end. It was just, I mean, powerful, powerful voices within the international cycling community. And I think Jeff has been very focused on a holistic approach to sport and athletics. It's not just how can you get better at dismounting and remounting and nailing the pedal every time in a start? It's that there are character attributes around this. There, are, there was some research that we had the campers do and sharing what they were doing on social media, yeah. which is again, to get back to that sense of community and bringing people back in sharing what we're doing constantly is a good thing. Um, I mean, you look at what Carrie's done with his vlogs or what Jeremy did with, the behind the barriers and nine ball diaries before that. And all of these athletes, Magali Rochette's done a very good job this year. She just started the podcast. I saw that. I saw that I was outside. That's on next on my listening list. But, um, are you going to listen to the French or the English ones? Man, I, I studied <laughs> French for five years in high school <laughs> and I, it's embarrassing how much I've forgotten. I, <laughs> every time I go back to, to Bologna or France, I, I just, I try to remember bits here and there and try to show off that I can get by in a restaurant. Like where, where's the pasta or, you know, where's the bathroom? Like all, all of these really basic things, but I just, man, it's embarrassing how much French I've forgotten. So any plans for yourself or, uh, for you were talking about finding your brand jokingly, but in a serious sense, any, any, I, I know, I know there are athletes out there that do it well and I, it, and some, are more, I think, reluctant or just feel awkward about doing some of the stuff. But as we know, in this environment, it's something that I think everybody needs to do at least a little something. So any, any greater plans to, to have the, the Curtis white brand out there? (laughs) Um, I, it, it, it's been a lot of, again, trying new things and just putting myself out there. And I think the things that I've noticed that have been getting the most traction have been videos of technique, which, originated with the Eurocross Academy with with a basic start or barriers or shouldering the bike or any basic skills, but that is the essence of cyclocross. And I think showing that off is a really important thing. Um, But I mean, that's something that I haven't been used to for a very long time. I've been balancing road and cyclocross and school. And I've always kind of thought, "I, I don't have time for that. I'll figure it out later. And later is, come around I, I mean we're in a middle of a pandemic there's a lot of people who are bored and looking for new content and things to do and now is the best time to really get uncomfortable yeah. and probably the best advice i had a mentor a few years ago the best advice i could have gotten was it's important to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable and always putting yourself in new situations and that's where true growth happens so I'm still figuring out what the Curtis White brand is. And I just, to be honest, I've been very committed for a very long time 
just working hard, trying to be the best athlete I can be. I've been a very results driven guy for a long time. Um, certainly finishing second at the national championships a lot has pissed me off a lot, but motivated me a lot. And that's just, it, it, it's been a huge driving force in what I've done over the last few years and to stay committed to the sport and to want to make it my livelihood. So. Sounds good. Curtis, we're right up on an hour. Let's, uh, let's not wait for another, um, under 94 episodes to talk again. All right. We'll only leave it at a hundred next time. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, Bill. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thanks for everyone for listening. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.